Hey, Curran. Uh, welcome back. So today we're doing parts two and three. So today we're going to discuss data protection trends and opportunities for higher engagement on your cold outreach campaigns. So welcome to the marketing automation discussion. Let's begin. All right. So data protection trends, opportunities for higher engagement. What do marketers need to know about the general data protection regulation in the EU? Uh, Curran is in Berlin, Germany. He's the CEO of Hubcell. And he's my co-host because he's an expert in cold outreach. And uh, he is very familiar with the GDPR and remaining compliant. So why don't you take this slide, Curran? Yeah, thank you, Alex. Um, I'll say it again. The, the expert is our legal counsel. And, and <laughs> as I've said earlier, exactly. I'll source my expert on one of our podcasts so we can really deep dive not only uh, uh, with GDPR, but also the uh, e-privacy uh, regulation that is going to be applicable, I believe, from 2019. Um, it's going to be a blanket level uh, uh, regulation for the European Union, mm-hmm. and it will uh, regulate the cold outreach. Um, and uh, uh, a lot of interesting things are happening there. I think we'll discuss that in one of the follow-up podcasts, but let, let's dive right into this slide right now. Uh, GDPR. It's applicable to companies that are in any way targeting, keeping data of, uh, interacting with European citizens. So as long as your market has even a portion of it uh, focusing on European Union citizens, you are uh, going to need to apply uh, GDPR uh, friendly policies in your companies and practices. Right now, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't just apply to you, but also to any person in your supply chain, any any uh, supplier or any processor within your entire supply chain that works on the data that uh, includes European citizen data. Right? So mm-hmm. uh, when you think about compliance, you can't just hedge yourself against it and say, all right, everything else is fine. You need to actually make sure that your uh, third-party processors, your um, basically entire supply chain is uh, is. Uh, uh, also compliant at the same time. Now, the cost for breaching, uh, the one amount that is listed on the screen right now, $20 million or 4% of the worldwide uh, annual revenue. This is the second level breach. The first level breach, I believe, is going to net you a fine of up to $10 million or 2% of your mm-hmm. uh, of your uh, global revenue. Now, so far, we haven't seen any fine being handed out. Uh, that also has to do with the fact that the GDPR interpretation is evolving. I think uh, it will be updated in the coming uh, months uh, um, as you know companies end up breaching the GDPR and how judges, uh, um, let's uh, let's say, uh, provide uh, uh, a fine or 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 a punishment based on on what these companies did. So there's a lot more that we should cover in the coming months. On the Mm -hmm. GDP. Now, GDPR provides, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, unavoidable rights to the data subject, right? Uh, These rights have to do with their control on the data that you have on them. Uh, Basically, they should be able to access their data in your database. Uh, So you need to make that happen. You need to uh, enable 
the, the data subject or a customer or prospect, all different names, but in the legal language, it's a data subject. They should be able to access their data. They should be able to edit their own data, erase or unsubscribe uh, their data from your database and prevent any kind of transfer of the data. This, yeah. Um, yeah, so GDPR makes sure that the, this, the controller, the, the person that actually has control over their data is a data subject. And taking all these points together, you want to include that in your, in your scope. Uh, uh, so get data that you need, uh, that you can legitimately uh, uh, show a business interest in, right? And uh, uh, make sure that your processing is fitting that scope and purpose. So basically, first uh, have your uh, have your scope ready. Uh, what the purpose of the data is? What do you need? What variables do you need? How are you going to use them? All of that should be done, and then you go around uh, getting data and and processing it. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll just reiterate the part about third-party processors. So anyone that touches your data, this could be. Um, obviously your email provider, um, but then they have sub-processors below them. So anyone that touches your data, you are inevitably responsible for that. So making sure that they are all compliant. There are a lot of managed email services out there, um, a lot of startups, a lot of people just trying to do things for other companies that um, are not compliant, not uh, maintaining data warehousing um, under a, uh, a uh, compliant manner or in a compliant manner. So Make sure, triple check, um, know who's got your data, when, and how they're using it. Um, all right, so moving on. Uh, we are on a slide, if you're listening, um, that's titled, What's Great About GDPR? This is important because obviously GDPR has been somewhat of a, a headache for a lot of companies, uh, multinational companies and companies targeting EU citizens. It's, you know, it's required them to do a lot of in infrastructure changes, personnel changes, getting uh, getting ready for this May 25th deadline uh, that has passed when we're recording now. But um, but on the marketing side specifically and on the sales side, uh, we believe that this is a good thing. Um, and here's why. So number one, uh, there is a new increased customer confidence to leave their data on your site. So when someone goes to your site and uh, uh, sees just a, a contact form that has really not much to say about what's happening with their data. Uh, me as a customer, um, I don't really feel comfortable leaving my data. Um, not only uh, pre-GDPR with less regulations, um, but just the fact that I don't really know what you're doing with my data. So under GDPR, you're required to tell the customer exactly what's happening with the data that you're asking for. So if you're asking for an email, you have to tell them that. I'm going to send you marketing collateral. I'm going to send you specifically stuff about this. Now leave your email, check this box and opt in. So an increase in customer confidence. So uh, this should be good. Uh, the people that are leaving their email will not be offended when you start sending a marketing material because they've opted in. Now there's less noise in the inbox. There's fewer bad practices happening. So those who are not taking the time to uh, you know, become GDPR, GDPR compliant are uh, not going to be able to send their mass bulk, um, non-customized, non-one-to-one outreach um, sequences. They're not going to be able to spray and pray, practice this shotgun method of marketing. They're going to have to get focused. They're going to have to remain compliant. They're going to have to get opt-ins. So if you are someone that's practicing 
compliant outreach, you will be the focus in the inbox. You will have a lot less competition for the viewer's attention. Um, so that's a, that's another positive. Number three, abiding to GDPR means you are focused uh, on becoming a valuable marketer and a precise marketer. So uh, similar to number two, you are now required to segment your data, to focus your marketing campaigns, to supply only the messaging that someone actually opted in for to them, which means tagging, bucketing, segmenting, becoming the marketer that we all should be, uh, we should have been at least. Um, this means higher conversion rates per campaign, um, more knowledge of who's in your database and um, just a better overall marketing strategy. The next slide, if you're listening, we're looking at a quote. So Karen, why don't you read the quote and explain kind of anything you want to touch on around that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the quote says, segmented email campaigns have an open rate that is 14% higher than non-segmented campaigns. And click-through rates are 101% higher in segmented email campaigns than non-segmented campaigns. Now, this is very, very clear. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, when your, your, your data as well as your outreach is very targeted and this, this can be achieved through segmentation, uh, the narrower your segmentation becomes, the more targeted, the more relevant, and if you planned it in, within your copy, more valuable your content will be to the end recipient. And this goes back to our uh, point about what's good about GDPR. You have to segment your campaigns, which allows you to be specific in your subject line and specific in your email copy. Uh, you can use dynamic text regardless, but um, knowing who that email is specifically going to um, and bucketing them accordingly allows you to be more precise with your messaging and get higher open and click-through rates. So um, next section here, section number three, the last section of this presentation is titled, What Now? Gaining, Using, and Protecting Data. The next slide, if you're listening, is a uh, image of a uh, outreach cycle. Um, so what happens from beginning to end? Uh, step one, you're acquiring data and you're cleansing that data. So you're verifying the data. Uh, you're going through the process of data enrichment. Uh, step two, uh, that data goes into your CRM or whatever you're using to manage your data. Uh, step three, and this actually could possibly happen before entering your CRM, but you want to segment that data. So you want to tag the contacts accordingly. Uh, you want to bucket them accordingly. Uh, step four, uh, you take action on the data. So this could be advertisements first. We talk about uh, in previous episodes retargeting based on the data. It's called CRM retargeting. Um, it could involve uh, some sort of a touch point on social. So a follow, a connect, a like, a uh, uh, you know a connection request. Uh, and then obviously any sort of messaging, uh, cold messaging on LinkedIn, cold outreach uh, via email whatever you want to do to take action. And then step five, analyze the data. So find out what happened, what touch points worked. Hopefully you A-B tested some stuff and you have some good data to uh, go ahead and act on. And uh, then it starts over. You resegment the data based on the analysis, retag based on the analysis, scrub based on the analysis, start the process over again. Now the next slide is titled data gathering or enrichment action items. Um, so, Karen, why don't you touch on the first three, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and wrap it up with that last one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, this ties in really well with the previous slide as well and ties in with the compliance to GDPR. Uh, what it says is gather data only after you know why and what. It's another way of saying know your purpose, know what you're going to do with it and gather what you need. But that also automatically makes you be uh, very, very accurate about the data that you need. Um, define your market, define your segment, define the purpose of your campaign. Then go and get that data that you need. You need to know what you're going to do with that data. Uh, let's say you want to reach out to people on Twitter as well as LinkedIn. You're going to need to get their LinkedIn social media uh, URLs. You're going to need their uh, Twitter handles. Um, you're also need, going to need their address if you want to include a physical letter to a, to a prospect in a company. So all of these um, steps in a particular campaign will tell you what data that if, that you need. And then mm -hmm. you need data that allows you to bucket uh, the people into different uh, uh, smaller subsets. Um, depending on what you're selling, dep depending on what you want to achieve, what your use case is, there, there could be different categorical data that you can use to structure your data further into s smaller sets. Uh, an example of that could be the seniority of a particular person in a company. Now, if, if you are um, um, focusing on, on getting in touch with departmental heads that, and, and your message would alter, uh, will be altered depending on who you're targeting, then you might want to have this information as part of your gathering process, that you mm -hmm. want to know what is, their, what is their seniority in their particular company or what department uh, they, they, are, they are heading, for example. That could be interesting as well. Uh, in some European countries, well, actually, pretty much all, all continental European countries, the language that we, the languages that are here, rely on gender uh, uh, information to, to uh, for certain grammatical changes. So you could say one sentence with verb conjugations in one way to to a male and and uh, in another way to female. Uh, so that information could also be relevant if you're targeting a European country, for example. So. Coming back to know what you're going to do and then find out what you're going to uh, uh, acquire in, in terms of data. Then verify, making sure your information is actually valid. Let's say that, that uh, taking the same example again, the email address, the address, uh, the, the social media links, are they actually correct? Need to be sure about that. Mm -hmm. um, let's take an example. If your emails are 30% uh, wrong, that bounce rate is going to cripple the entire campaign. Right. Not only did yep. you de decrease the overall market, the overall uh, population of that particular sample by 30 percent to 70 percent only, um, that is going to impact your spam rating. So you might just end up having an open rate of about 10, 15 percent, uh, which you could have had, let's say, in the range of 50 to 60 percent if you had done the, the data collection uh, uh, accurately and the, the validity of your data was high. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, also ties in really well with point number three, only collect and maintain what you need. One of the mandates of GDPR um, will make you become more specific in your data treatment, right? If you know what you're going to collect, if you can verify what you've collected, and uh, um, if you only collected what you needed, obviously it will be a waste of money to collect more than what you need. You're kind mm -hmm. of satisfying all three main points that we are trying to promote here in this uh, podcast. The last point there uh, is internally run data mapping exercise. So um, this is something uh, I believe in. I think it's necessary now uh, with GDPR. But what you want to 
create is actually a visual. Um, use maybe your UI tool or use some sort of a mind map tool or just draw it on a whiteboard. But uh, have some sort of a visual showing where your data is coming from. An example of that is, you know, I have purchased data lists from, from the past sitting in my Google Drive, right? Um, I have in my CRM data from um, conventions that I grab business cards from, or I have data from a prospecting activity, or I have data from my opt-in forms. So you have all these different data sources coming into your repository, your CRM. But you also may have another repository that could just be a general database. Um, it could be your event capture software. It could be your cold email software. So you have all these repositories. Uh, then those go out to subprocessors. So maybe data skips a repository and goes into a subprocessor like a managed email provider, and it does not enter your CRM yet. So you grab your data from some sort of a data provider. It skips your repository and it goes to your subprocessor. Then that subprocessor may have some people working for them, another company, either a verification, or maybe they use a, a tool like HubCell. Um, uh, but creating that whole entire visual map, it could look like a sort of a bubbled map with lines in between each showing where the data is flowing. This is a good practice, not just to be able to show new hires on your data team or on your marketing team what's going on, um, but also to show auditors if you're in the EU saying, hey, this is what we know about our data. We've taken the time to make sure that we know what's happening with our data. And uh, further, you'll, you may notice some things that you forgot about when you did this research. So it's an exercise um, internally to make sure you know everything that's going on with your data and uh, you can also remain compliant and uh, help new hires and new people on the team get a very good awareness of what's happening. So I believe in creating that internal data mapping uh, exercise. Now, uh, moving on, uh, the next slide, we're almost done here, is called campaign action items. Um, uh, Curran, since uh, you've got some cool stuff going on uh, specific to this, why don't you explain what these three mean? Sure, yeah. Um, adding a social impression, that's point number one. Uh, hopefully automated social impression. Uh, could be anything from, from you know, ranging from uh, following somebody on Twitter, uh, sending them a connection request on LinkedIn, or just uh, follow, uh, uh, visiting their profile or, or following them at, to, to get their content. These are low-touch uh, social impressions, but you can also go a little bit further. The main point behind it is um, email at this moment has too much noise. Um, and if you're just focusing, let's say you've done all the good data work that you needed to do, and now you can reach out, why limit it to one channel, you know, uh, spread into the social channel as well. So once you can, once you have the data, make sure you maximize its value to you by, by uh, creating campaigns that are not, uh, uh, let's say, single channel, but rather multi-channel or even omni-channel. Uh, and social, obviously, is a very, very powerful channel. In B2B, you have uh, uh, LinkedIn, of course, and in certain countries, Twitter is very powerful in B2B. Uh, you have Facebook and Instagram for B2C. And make sure that you, in some way, tap into the power of these and uh, create campaigns that orchestrate a, a multi-channel outreach uh, uh, for you. And uh, if you can do this automatically, if you have a software that you deploy th that does it uh, in an automatic way, even better. 
Um, point number two, uh, did you want, by the way, Alex, did you want me to cover all three points or just the first? Yeah, go ahead and cover all three. Perfect. Now, uh, segment your data based on opt-in versus opt-out requirement states. That's point number two. Now, this ties in really well with the GDPR. Now, as I said earlier, that e-privacy state uh, regulation, so the e-privacy regulation, which is currently still under commenting uh, by the European Council as well as the Euro European Parliament, they need to come to an agreement uh, between um, making the entire Europe uh, opt-in or opt-out and differentiating, differentiating between B2B and B2C and determining if that's going to be opt-in or opt-out. Until that point, um, European states and all the other states in the world are also um, um, having their own regulation, uh, which are telling, which, which, which explain whether or not a particular outreach, in this case, let's say uh, cold calling or uh, uh, emailing or faxing or sending letters, all of that, is it opt-in or out, opt-out? Mm -hmm. Keep that as part of your planning, right? If you want to be compliant, and being compliant is even more important now than it was uh, two months ago, make sure that you're able to clearly see what part of your data, uh, for what part of the action of that campaign is an opt-in requirement versus an opt-out requirement. We'll, we'll save you a lot of unnecessary risk and uh, will also make the results better. Now, finally, separating your cold outreach from your normal outreach, they are, they are inherently very different. Uh, cold outreach has uh, the main focus to establish content, uh, uh, contact, I mean, uh, establish dialogue between, between the, 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 the party that is executing that campaign uh, with the party that is receiving that, that campaign's content. So it should not be mixed up with inbound or let's say other tools. Have a dedicated software that is doing it so that you do it right. Uh, softwares mm -hmm. that can take care of that data, can segment that data and cr uh, allow you to create um, um, let's say human-like uh, campaigns. Yeah, so being able to se separate that data for that clear purpose further adds to the points that we've discussed so far. Yeah, and I think um, in part one and a couple other episodes, we talk about specifically why a cold outreach tool is best uh, for cold outreach. Not only the name and the purpose, but uh, the uh, the way the tool is set up, you know, the different... Um, features of the tool. We don't have to go into that now, but uh, check back and uh, look at the older episodes for more specifics on why using a cold outreach tool is better than your typical outreach, your MailChimps, your campaign ma uh, monitor, your uh, your MailJets, your SynGrids of the world. So One moving on. Oh, go, Sorry, like, go ahead. One thing yep. I will say, which, which is part of this presentation, and, and perhaps the, the, the listener had a few days in between when they listened to the first and the second. So just to bring this thought fresh in their head, um, in, in part one, we discuss about being omnipresent and human-like. Mm -hmm. And if you want to satisfy both of those requirements, uh, you will definitely need a very, very dedicated tool. And, and uh, have high-quality data that is segmented and bucketed and so forth. Um, just just to add to the point that you were making there. Alex. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Good point. And um, definitely check back in that first part of the presentation and then a couple other episodes back 
Uh, there's there's some really good um, focus questions about that. And um, uh, final slide here, we we just have some statistics um, to talk about. But uh, you know, at this point, if you've watched the first section and you watched the section second section, hopefully um, you are on the same page. Um, you know, it takes a lot of touch points to connect with a prospect, not just one, not just a, a really good cold email. They have to have seen your face. They have to know who you are. They have to they have to really understand what you're up to. Um, and it can't just be a very well written single cold email. Sometimes that works, but um, you know, it's it's unlikely that just a single cold email will get their attention. So multiple touch points, multiple cold emails in the sequence. Um, some logic in between and some thought and some psychology in between to make sure um, you're putting the best uh, sequence out there. Um, you know, how much time is spent um, uh, prospecting? So if, if you're listening in, we have 34% uh, is how much time spent talking to prospects. Um, so, you know, again, you just want to be very cognizant of your prospect and how much information they have from you during this whole outreach process. Uh, and the last stat there, 41% is the average percentage that dynamic copy outperforms static. And Karen, why don't you uh, finish us off with uh, an explanation of what that means? Uh, sure. Um, I'll also uh, say a few things about e each of these. I, I can give examples. I've seen examples with customers for each of these. Uh, we have a customer, um, uh, in the U.S. Uh, that um, I recommended that they send, um, I think, seven seven different uh, uh, touch points. And um, they were sending only four. Uh, mm. And they were getting a lot of replies on the fourth. But they were missing out on the on the replies that they would have gotten on five, six, and seven. And then they did. Um, they, their call-set ratio immediately uh, uh, increased uh, by a lot. Uh, time spent talking to prospects, this should be ideally 90%. You want to talk to your prospects. This is what salespeople do really well. They are excellent uh, human, uh, let's say, interaction specialists. They mm -hmm. want you want your your salespeople to be constantly talking to their prospects, converting these into opportunities, and then your account managers converting those opportunities into sales. Right? That's ideally what you want. And this thirty-four percent means all of that other time, sixty-six percent is just spent on things which are not necessarily what salespeople want to do or are excellent at, right? Mm -hmm. um, let those other things be done by other people, other, other softwares, other uh, uh, support staff. Salespeople should be focusing on prospect, having conversations and uh, developing opportunities. Um, the final uh, um, uh, um, statistic that we have there, the average percentage that uh, dynamic copy outperforms static has to do with the ability of dynamic copy to not only uh, provide relevant content, uh, which is valuable, um, but also be able to, um, well, it, first of all, it increases the open rate because you can use dynamic copy also mostly in subject line. Uh, mm -hmm. So you get more people to open. And with dynamic copy, you'll be able to provide them with, with let's say, the content that is specific uh, valuable, specifically valuable to them, not necessarily them as a unit, as a company, as a department, but rather them as a person. Obviously, if your copy is targeted to them, if when they read it, they see a clear difference between your copy and all the other cold emails they re, uh, they receive on a, on a on a weekly basis, um, mm -hmm. the answer is clear who they're going to respond to, right? And that's why dynamic copy and 
really, really good salespeople can use dynamic copy to create emails which are indistinguishable from emails written by hand while looking at that company's profile or that person's profile. And that's really the level you can achieve and it by far outperforms static copy. Yeah, and um, I just showed on screen that email that we mentioned in presentation one. Uh, how to do it correctly. So uh, there's a visual for you of a good dynamically written email with some if-then statements, a personal note, company and sender information. So anyways, that is that. So that's part two and three. Definitely, if you have not watched uh, part one, go ahead and watch or listen to part one. Um, keep in touch. We'll be on again probably early next week for another episode um, about marketing automation, data protection compliance, and uh, quality. So thank you again, Curran, for the time. And uh, let's touch base uh, offline. Absolutely. Thank you, Alex. Take care. Bye.